I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for 2018. We are so thrilled to be back here. It's quite possible that we have a few new listeners because we have a radio show now, but the podcast is a place where we like to get a bit casual, maybe take off our pants, (laughs) sit back, wear some moccasins. But if you don't know who we are, the Outer Sanctum is a place, it's a philosophy, it's a thought process it's maybe it's even a lookbook <laughs> where six football loving friends get together and talk about the social the stupid and the sublime around AFL football I'm Emma Race I'm Lucy Race I'm Kate Sear I'm Nicole Hayes I'm Alicia Sometimes and I'm Felicity Race and we are going to bring you the Outer Sanctum podcast for the next I don't even know, for the foreseeable future. <laughs> we're on the eve of Until the AFL. <laughs> exactly. We're on the eve of the AFLW kicking off. And I've got to say, when the footy season starts in February, don't you just feel like it's a long road ahead? It's yeah? It really is. Okay, some crazy things happened in the off season. And there were so many that we've basically written a list of headlines for things that we think have affected the way that we see footy and the way that you guys see and like to talk about footy. So we're just going to give you the headlines and then we'll pick out a few things to really dig deep on. Let's do this. Nicole Livingston was appointed the head of the AFLW. The VFLW was rejigged and we said goodbye to some historic clubs and hello to some new AFL-aligned clubs. Bet Goddard was named Coach of the Year. In the Samfall, they welcomed their first female chair in Margaret Nyland. The AFLW draft saw Izzy Huntington at pick one go to the Bulldogs, while in an 11th hour decision, Hannah Mouncey was blocked from taking part in the draft. Alita, handballing to you. AFLW expansion teams were announced. Richmond's grand final celebrations were darkened by a photo being shared without consent. And I just saw a Richmond supporter today that had a sticker on the back of his car that said, I'm speeding because I need a poo. And there was an actual pick. Um, True story. (laughs) AFLW rule changes were announced. AFLX became an actual thing. Debbie Lee left the D's to move to the Bulldogs. And (laughs) women's sport gained momentum and headlines for the right reasons with the Matildas, the WBBL, the NRLW. Carolyn Wilson resigned as chief footy writer for The Age and there was a stadium rebuild controversy in Sydney. Bomber Thompson left the country under some slightly curious circumstances. (laughs) Um, And, of course, Jared Waitley departed the ABC and headed off to Melbourne's SEN. Who? Uh, (laughs) In uh, 2017, AFLW and female participation figures released. 
um, showing a huge growth. Um, we're going to talk about that a bit later. Simon Lethlean joined the team at St Kilda and uh, Carlton and Hawthorne appointed new CEOs. And in the news of the world, which shapes our view on sport and life, the Me Too ha- hashtag was, oh, sorry, Me Too was hashtagged around the world. Marriage equality was finally passed and the Uluru Statement was sadly rejected. And finally, Sam Kerr was named Young Australian of the Year. Larry Nasser was convicted of sexual assault and sexual abuse, and we're going to talk about that in a bit more detail soon. The Silence Breakers made the cover of Time and were the Time Person of the Year. And Colin Kaepernick was one of the Time People of the Year, as well as the GQ Man of the Year for his political activism. Did we miss anything? Quite possibly. (laughs) Quite possibly, but um, that's a lot to get through. And it was was a long, hard uh, off-season not having you guys at the end of the podcast line. Is that what you're saying? It's a funny thing, isn't it? It's a funny thing when big stories are breaking and I think we all are ready to talk about it and so we probably... Wasted on each other, really, didn't we? the dog. (laughs) We could have recorded hours of content already and just really sat back now. Press play. It is always pleasing to know that we still talk to each other in the off-season. We just cannot stay away from each other. We've still got our fingers on our mobile phones, texting each other articles, and Kate's here, of course, sending us gifts every two seconds. (laughs) So let's crack it open, starting with something that is pretty positive. Lucy? Absolutely. So we mentioned it in that list that um, the AFL put out their participation numbers, and I think the most exciting thing for us, especially around football, is that it's up to... To 1.5 million people playing the game, female players represent 30% of that number, and that is a 76% increase of female footballers playing the game for clubs, which is just fantastic. And then if you kind of look at what else was happening over the sporting landscape over the summer especially, there's been a lot of stuff going on. Um, If we start, say, you know, just with three sports like soccer, cricket and rugby, in soccer the Matildas ended the year ranked fourth in the world. Sam Kerr became a household name. Um, I think more of us got to see her awesome backflip celebrations. <laughs> so she got a number, she won a number of awards, including um, FIFA Female Player of the Year. She was a finalist for that, but also has just recently been named Young Australian of the Year. In cricket, we saw the WBBL um, have a cracking opening weekend with record crowds, but also record ratings. And I think there was a, a night where it out rated the A-League Sydney Derby. The Women's Ashes also had great crowds and records broken. You'll remember Elise Perry's awesome unbeaten double century. And there's now talk of the Women's 2020 final being held in March at the MCG. And if that happens, there's a real possibility that records will be set in terms of attendance at, at women's sporting events. In rugby, the NRL has launched a national competition which is going to take place at the end of the 2018 season so they'll be played as curtain raisers ahead of the finals games with the grand final being a curtain raiser to the men's grand final but in rugby sevens there's been pay parity between women's and men's teams which is awesome so I guess when I think back to to all of those things and a lot of the time you're not necessarily aware of it but I have this sense that something's changing that we're on the brink of something and you know we know that women have always loved sport we know that women have always played sport but we've also been used to being the other 
um, being told that it's kind of a little bit not normal, that it's a little bit lesser, that it won't rate, it's not worth as much. And 2017 on the sporting field felt for me like that tide is starting to turn. And when you see that happen at the elite level, you see the impacts that are are measurable at grassroots level. So um, I think, you know, talking about the launch of this season of the AFLW, the theme around that was inspiration and that really inspires me. Don't you think it's funny how women's sport has always been a negotiable topic where people go, like, oh, I don't like women's sport. I yeah. don't like women's tennis. Like, you don't, you really hear people go like, oh, I don't like men's 100 metres. You know, like, yeah. and I don't like female comics. Do you, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, but yeah. I feel like, do you feel like that's becoming a less popular thing to say? Like, if you said that in a room now, people would be like, boo, oh, you can't say that. That's would, uncool. Yeah. Yet organisations like... Um, one of the main newspapers in Sydney still come out with comments like um, Roger Federer being the first person <sighs> to yeah, win 20 was, grand slams. They did change that pretty quickly. Uh, you know, but how does the piles on? That's how can you bias. accidentally forget that there's women in the world and the three mm. of them have won as many grand slams? Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like a gift. the language, when you see the language is always male-based language and we're finding that obviously in AFL when they talk about Ruckman and, you know, mm. all that stuff, holding the man, all that kind of stuff. And it's really jolting because people don't know what to say. But just traditionally, everything is geared mm. towards the masculine. And it's partly why we've, we st- I mean, it was, it, was a jo- it was a joke at first on this show, but we've stuck with it, calling AFL, AFL-M and AFLW so that um, AFL as a, as a sort of competition or a national competition, the, d- the default isn't simply that it is men's football and that women's is an add-on. I think um, AFL-M and AFLW is a nice way to call it as a way of problematising that. Do you remember last year, Alicia, you brought to the table that when you Googled, yeah, and it said you Googled AFLW and it said, did you mean AFLM? Then it, my search engine started like it would come up with AFLW, but over the off season, it's gone back. It's mm. gone back, and this gets me to my next point: talking stats. I googled AFLW stats, and it went, "Do you mean AFL no. stats?" Mm. So we've got rid of the. It understands <laughs> AFLW. Sexist. So we need to upset the algorithm. So Google AFLW today, everyone. And stats, <laughs> yes. Um, so I will get to stats in a sec, but just some changes with the AFLW rule changes we've all been hearing about those so some changes have been released from this year the aflw will adopt a last disposal out of bounds rule in an effort to make the game quicker and alleviate a host of stoppages in the herald sun today uh, it was mentioned that beck goddard predicted even more radical reforms were inevitable Um, the number of bench players will also be reduced from six to five taking team totals down from 22 to 21 with of course 16 players on the field at any time and there will also be time on added in the final two minutes of each quarter, uh, taking away the possibility of the final siren going during a stoppage, which is really good. Mm. Um, and the magic number sort of is 17 come ba- comes back again because it says 17 is the new 30. Um, in an attempt to compare statistics between AFL and AFLW, um, da- there's champion data, a firm has come up with a benchmark for what they deem to be the strong statistical performance of an individual. For AFL, it's 30 disposals, um, but for AFLW, they're saying 17 is uh, the benchmark for absolute elite sport. And, of course, Western Bulldogs, Emma Kearney, Kearney just 
absolutely, can I say, shitting all over this. Um, she got 30 recorded against Brisbane Lions in round six of the season. Um, and I love that she says on match day her superstition is to eat 12 wheat bix for breakfast. So there you go. Oh, wow. There's you the want the magic 17. You, well, you or eat the magic your, 12. <laughs> you eat your wheat bix. And up there with her uh, 17 disposals is uh, people like Karen Paxman, Erin Phillips, Ali Blackburn, Aliso Day, Brianna Davey and Adana Hooker. So they're some of the ones that have reached 17, have done really well. Um, and research has shown that AFL teams average 312 disposals over that period with AFLW teams recording 260 over the, um, the same time period that AFLW goes. So it's really interesting um, with the stats. And I, I and, and I wonder how these changes will go, and we'll keep everyone abreast of that. One thing that um, I was talking to a player about the rule changes, and I was saying, does it affect you in training? Like that, you that there is constant um, tinkering with it. Mm. That the AFLW seems to be a petri dish of um, changes, and um, and she was saying she made the point that. The thing that all of the rule changes are to try and stop congestion around the ball and make the game faster and smoother. And she's like, I just wish that they didn't have those changes because just we will get better at this Mm. and we will stop congestion Mm. when we've been playing in this competition for longer. But what's going to happen is everyone's going to go, oh, it's because of the rule changes. It's because of the 16 aside. It's because of the last touch out of bounds. But actually, it's not that. The game would have got there on its own as well. So let's keep that in mind that we don't become those people who go like, oh, the rule changes are what fixed it because actually the players are going to be able to Mm -hmm. fix it before the rule changes necessarily. And I think there's that danger when you change rules, Emma, that you have these unintended unintended consequences. So if you think they want to speed it up, what does that mean for midfielders? Are they going to... Be like cartoon characters. Well, are they going yeah. to get? Are they going to get more tired? Mm. So, uh, especially with fewer on the bench. <laughs> yeah, because what happens is that there's still congestion. They've just got less mm. options to kick to, mm. right? That's yeah. right. Everyone's around the ball, and it says here disposals per hundred minutes with AFL is seventeen point three, AFLW sixteen point two. That's not much of a difference. No. So leave them alone. Mm. I agree. <laughs> and just really quickly, um, this is in dedication to Kate, who r- oh, really thanks. sort of pumped well, the numbers. I should wait to see what she says first. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, this is about shit sandwiches. And uh, no, uh, the number 17 you mentioned last She's year, a vegan. 2017. Um, we're on the Kate and I are on the same True. side. Yes, vegetarian shit's vegetarian, isn't it? Oh, I've been vegan in recent weeks, <gasps> yeah, but that, that's probably for another podcast, yeah. to be honest. We are never going out to dinner again. I am just taking that back because I don't want to talk about poo, but um, the number 18 because of numerology, and of course, um, you know. It's 2018. Uh, So the underlying um, idea around the number 18 is welfare of humanity. So humanitarianism, independence and building something of lasting benefit. So I think that suits it all, uh, you know, quite positively. In ancient Roman customs, the number 18 can symbolise a blood relative. Hey, we're all sisters here, aren't we? (laughs) Some more than others. Um, And... uh, but I love in popular culture the number uh, 18 appears with James Joyce's Ulysses has 18 chapters and Russ Wheeler's car number in the film Days of Thunder is number 18. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all looking good for us. Oh, that's brilliant. Here's a stat for you. I was asked why I love AFLW so much and it's um, one of the things I was thinking is I love the intensity that even though it's short, like so the men's um, home and away season goes for 23 
weeks. The women's only is seven weeks. And so in that seven weeks, we pack 23 weeks of excitement and passion just into seven weeks, which means that each AFLW game is worth 3.3. Lots of excitement (laughs) of the men's game. So it's actually like um, footy in dog years. Right. So, you know, at the end of seven weeks, that's why we're spent. Yes. We're all sitting back in a post like a midfielder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Felicity loves a ticketing issue. Do you know this about our sister Felicity? She loves a ticketing issue and you know, she I, loves a ticketing story. It's the actual opposite because I hate a ticketing issue. It's like we just my dump it on you tonight. Oh, Tickety boo. So, yeah, so distracted when um, people. Sorry, you're sitting in my seat. <laughs> oh my God, God. If people don't take their allocated seat at the right time and there's a you know some sort of conjecture over who's got the seat. I, I cannot watch no, the film, the, anything. We've those, all witnessed you know, this. The footy, whatever. <laughs> It's no good. But um, for those of our listeners who were um, tuning into the radio show that we did last week, we, we talked about stadiums and we raised the question, should we ever move the grand final? And um, that, that brought out a whole lot of conversation about stadiums. And it made me think there's a, a few things that have gone on um, and are happening at the moment with new stadiums. And we are very Melbourne-centric and we do love our MCG. So I thought, let's talk about um, some of the stadiums interstate and what's going on there. And the new Perth Stadium was obviously on show for the cricket last weekend. And I don't know if you saw it, but it looks amazing. Um, I think they've done a really nice job incorporating a fair bit of shade into that, um, that you know, Good. Perth environment. Um, and obviously in round two of the AFLW, the ground's going to host the first ever football match with um, Frio and Collingwood. Now, obviously, the $2 ticket for this match has been a huge point of discussion. I'm not getting hung up on it. Um, But mainly, I guess, around the idea of it being a little bit of unnecessary admin. Um, Essentially, what you do is you you buy a general admission ticket for $2, get free public transport to the ground, and then they give the $2 to charity anyway. So I'm I'm still not entirely sure what the point is. Um, But one of the things that we have discussed um, and, you know, other people are raising is, Again, valuing an AFLW game with a, essentially a gold coin donation probably doesn't have the look that the game deserves. Um, so um, what I really hope is that before the match, someone checks whether they built coaches' boxes because we had the, <laughs> we had the great opportunity last year to do a tour of the Dockland Stadium here in um, Melbourne. And if you've ever been there, you might notice that the coaches' boxes look a little bit like portable site offices that have been uh, craned in afterwards. <laughs> So they were. Um, <laughs> that's why. That's why. Apparently, the story is the um, the the day that they uh, they brought all the the coaches and the uh, club officials down to show them this brand new um, facility. Someone put their hand up and said, um, "Where do the coaches sit?" And they all looked awkwardly at each other and realised they'd <laughs> oh, forgotten to like oh, oh, <laughs> That oh, is oh, to unbelievable. So. Um, Meanwhile, in Sydney, <laughs> <laughs> moving right along, moving right along. Flash. I know it's That's amazing. Awesome. Isn't it? um, in Sydney, where the average attendance at an NRL game for a New South Wales team is uh, sixteen thousand fans, um, the government's currently looking to demolish and rebuild not one but two stadiums with rectangular pitches. Um, so that way, those sixteen thousand people can either sit at Homebush in a stadium being rebuilt for eighty thousand, and just soak in the atmosphere, huh. or <laughs> and bring um, their friends. The rebuilt Moore Park ground, where a slightly more conservative forty-five thousand seats will be available. So um, it's it for AFLX. <laughs> maybe this is the plan. So obviously they can play soccer there as well. But um, you know, rebuilding the the stadium at Homebush to a rectangular mm. um, pitch means they're never going to get the grand final. Obviously, and mm. you know that's. 
really all that's important, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we want to keep that in Melbourne. There's a lot of controversy about those rebuilds. Yeah. It's a huge amount. They're looking mm. to spend about $2 billion um, on these two grounds. And, um, wow. It, I think it's extraordinary. Peter Fitzsimons has started mm. some petitions and... Yeah, I oh, feel well. guilty when I buy something that has two layers of packaging and have to throw out, like, <laughs> two layers of packaging. So throwing out a whole stadium is problematic mm. for my, you know, reuse, it, recycle. It feels a bit rubbish. excessive. One of, yeah. the, one of the comments about it that really stuck with me was um, one of the, the politicians who's driving this said, you have to remember that the Olympic Stadium was never built for spectators. Um, okay. I, I feel like if I oh. paid money for a ticket for an event, I'm probably going to ask for it back at this point. Yeah. That's just wacky. Mm. Well, thank you for the stadium update. I uh, really appreciate that, Felicity, and we look forward to some really um, hilarious ticketing <laughs> situations. We'll video it. Next time we're at the football and someone walks in with the wrong ticket, for the wrong, like tries to sit in the wrong seat, we will... We will live stream you what know, happens to Felicity. You know, she breaks out in hives. How there's a fine for that. <laughs> yes. Can, yes, I remember that. We spent a bit enough. of time. Yeah. Can I just put my hand up and ask Felicity? I'm, I'm not sure your position. Are you for people who have the ticketed seats or you're just a kind of sit anywhere person, shut up? No, if you have a ticketed <laughs> you seat, you need to sit in it. <laughs> oh. And you need to sit there before the game starts. Right. And you're not allowed to leave. Starts. Are you allowed oh. to leave to get food? You can. Um, okay. What are the rules around that? I have a whole other set of rules that right. I guess you have to Can I just say for all of our listeners who've joined us again this year and for the new listeners who've who've decided to tune in because they found us through the radio show, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is the least scintillating. It really I'm joking. Is. I love it. I love it. Um, that blanket apology, will that see us through for the entire year? <laughs> it, yeah, hope so. hopefully. Hopefully. Right Okay, so massive stuff was happening like in world news, which we do think impacts on the way that we view and enjoy and see sport and digest sport and everything. Uh, Kate Seat, you have been following the hashtag MeToo. I have, yes, I have. And this is this has been a huge story over the off season, which um and we mentioned some of the aspects of it at the top. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um not just the Me Too movement, but a very big story that's come out of the United States over the last few weeks, and that is the prosecution and conviction of Larry Nassar. And he is the former United States national gymnastics team doctor. And um, he's been convicted of sexually assaulting a number of young girls who were in his care through uh, across decades, actually. Yeah, it's a horrendous story. Um, he was sentenced to a maximum of 107 or up to 175 years in prison. And this story has coincided with and I think overlapped with the emergence of the Me Too movement. The judge in NASA's case did something which I think was phenomenal in that she allowed each and every woman who wanted to do so to come forward and give a victim impact statement in court. And they were powerful and emotional scenes where those women spoke in um, often extremely moving terms about the impact that his behaviour had had on them. And I have been thinking about what this huge development in world sport has meant back here in Australia. And what's interesting is that 
the Nassar case, the Me Too movement, silence breakers, which we talked a little bit about before, all of that has actually coincided with another big development here in Australia, which is the release in December of last year of the Royal Commission's report into institutional handling of child sexual abuse. And that's um, a multi-volume report, which... um, represents findings from several years of the Royal Commission looking into um, institutional child sexual abuse in a range of institutional contexts. And we've heard a lot in the media about churches and schools. But what our listeners might not know is that an entire volume of that report is dedicated to sporting organisations and similar organisations, sporting, leisure, recreation organisations. So a a bit over 400 victims came forward and gave evidence to the Royal Commission about their experiences of abuse in sporting and associated organisations. And so I I wanted to just think about what that means for us, because all of these phenomena, I think, have converged at the one time. I want to say, to be very clear, that there is nothing specific about AFL in that report. I've had a read of it. Um, But the report did find that many uh, sporting organisations and associations at all levels, so large sporting organisations down to grassroots clubs, failed to protect children from sexual abuse. That's the language used in the report and failed in its response to sexual abuse complaints. Um, And there's a couple of lessons, actually. I mean, it's a very, you know, obviously it's a very heavy subject matter and and very depressing, but there actually are some positives to come out of the report. And I just wanted to share those with our listeners because many of our listeners will be involved in grassroots sporting clubs. and, And what the Royal Commission report says is that everybody in those clubs has an obligation to to do better. And that's, that's the positive message and the positive obligation. So the, the Commission's report makes the point that many organisations have protocols and complaints processes for reporting and handling sexual abuse. The AFL has the respect and responsibility policy, which we've spoken about before, and that does deal with this kind of stuff. But the report noted that the willingness of people to come forward is often affected by things like how confident they are that their local club will actually take their complaints seriously. And where local clubs have a culture that is hyper-masculine, that's the language that was used in the report, where, for example, young boys or men who might come forward would be teased or um, stigmatised in some way, They said that that is a major factor in preventing people from feeling safe in their local club. And so the culture of clubs at every level in every sport is crucial. And every aspect of what clubs do and talking about gender, talking about harm, talking about safety and establishing a supportive environment is crucial. And that's the lesson for everyone, all of us, parents, children, um, volunteers, coaches at local clubs, everything you say and do must Um, project a safe environment. Um, And so I'll end with saying this, that the Royal Commission um, singled out a website, which is called Play By The Rules. So if you Google that, Play By The Rules, you'll go to a website which contains a lot of information and references about supporting children and young people in your club, how to deal with complaints, how to provide a safe environment, particularly for children, and it's a wonderful resource. So go and have a look at that. That's really powerful stuff. I think that message of that we all need to do better is probably the um, where I sort of come in with, with thinking through what's been happening over this summer and what we've seen change. And 
probably the most significant change for me has been the shift in conversation around women's bodies in particular mm. um, and how things like the hashtag Me Too and Time's Up and the silence breakers on, on the Times, uh, the, the front page, um, front cover, as well as the survivors of Larry Nasser. These are, um, and, and then you add in the proliferation and success of women's sport, um, what we're seeing now is from the shift, this shift from women's bodies being viewed through the, the, through the prism of the male gaze, mm. it's now becoming women controlling the conversation and women, women owning that conversation around how our bodies are viewed and how um, we use our bodies. Um, so the bodies have become, our bodies have become central to the conversation and our subjects, we are subjects of our own stories. And I see the AFLW and the sports media, I think there's a really great opportunity for them here to reflect this change and to elevate and promote women's stories and the stories our bodies are telling. Um, so I'm hoping in this AFLW season as we move through, um, and, you know, there's already been a little bit of promotion, maybe that's a question we, we can address to at some point, maybe not enough, but um, I'd like to see less of the ponytails and dimples and a lot more, a greater focus on the on-field um, action. The game itself is its best advertisement um, and watching women's bodies in action, you know, fast, agile, strong, fearless, elite athlete, athletes in full flight. It's, you know, an extraordinary thing to see and, and I hope that that's where the focus lies um, given, you know, this, this is a, a celebration or a potential celebration for women and women's bodies telling their, st their stories their own way. Um, and, you know, it would be nice to see that the AFL reflect that. Absolutely, Nick. I know, you know, our friend of the pod, mm. Becca Hain, who writes a blog at, that we often, you know, refer to, had actually written one this week about the AFL marketing. And she made a little point there where she said, you know, we're talking about AFLX compared to AFLW. Most of the words used, and I'm quoting here, most of the words used to market AFLW are feel good, novelty based, about changing the game and making history. They promote anything but the sport. The sport isn't promote, promoted so much as feel good cliche about creating things and being history makers. Season two should have been a linguistic leap forward from this, but it simply hasn't. And mm. and I think that's what you're getting yeah, to. Yeah. That One of the most hopeful things, though, was the commentating last year. I thought that uh, for the most part, it was all just focused on the sport and anyone who turned the TV on was just like, oh, my God, this is an amazing game. So mm. I think it's hopeful. Okay, so taking um, a leap from you, Nicole, talking about women's bodies, I want to talk about Hannah Mouncey, who um, is a transgender woman who was going to submit her name and um, was intending to be a part of the draft at the end of last year so that she could get picked up. And there was interest um, by a couple of clubs who wanted her to play in their AFLW teams. And um, there was a lot of discussion about her body. And I know that that challenges a lot of people to talk about it and to think about it um, and to extend what Nicole was saying, talking about, you know, how we view women's bodies. But that's what the talk was about with Hannah. And um, obviously we've she's also a friend of the pod and we've got to know her. Just to recap on her story, um, Hannah um, is a transgender woman who previously had played handball at the highest level and continues to play handball. She believed that she was eligible to put her name in for the AFL draft at the end of last year, 20 hours before the draft was to take place, she was informed that she would not be allowed to take place, uh, take part in the AFL 
AFLW draft. Since um, October, the AFL stand on transgender players hasn't been that clear. They've said that they're going to write a policy. We haven't seen the policy yet. And the flow on from that decision is that there are at least between 40 and 50 transgender uh, women playing football around the country that we're aware of. There's probably a lot more. Mm. Um, but at the moment, where it stands is it's unclear whether um, the AFL's decision um, will impact at grassroots level, at community level. At the moment, it seems like it will. However, there have been some very, very recent developments as of yesterday. Um, I saw reported that Roe Allen, who is the Victorian Commissioner for Gender and Sexuality and also a friend of the pod and someone who has great judgment on a lot of these issues, um, will be working alongside the AFL to develop a policy. What we need is that policy really quickly. I don't think we will see it quickly. And I've heard rumour that there will be two policies written, one that is covers community-level football and one that covers elite-level football. I think that's still problematic, but we haven't seen it yet. Um, it's believed that the AFL will um, will take into consideration and and look at you know all of the information and then decide what they're going to do. But I think they they would they want people to be able to play. They understand that there is a um, really important social and humanitarian welfare issue here. That um, sport is really incredibly important to people who can feel on the outer, and it is um, a really important way to promote healthy lifestyle and to also give people the opportunity that everyone else has. It's just a basic human right. So while Hannah has taken um, the decision with, I think, much grace, she continues to play handball. She is um, writing about AFL and AFLW. Um, but I just want to make everyone aware that, you know, a decision like this um, has impacts her whole life and impacts lots of people's whole lives. It impacts the way that people see themselves and, you know, just simply if Hannah applies for a job and, you know, as most employers would, they would do a Google search and if they see a whole lot of stuff that comes up online about decisions where you've been disallowed to take part in things, who knows how that impacts. Mm. But, you know, she wrote a really stunning piece about um, how she's actually homeless pretty much and um, so... It's not an easy life and it could have been made a whole lot easier. So I'm looking forward to seeing this move forward because sport is an incredibly important part of Hannah's life and lots of other transgender people's lives, everybody's life in this room. So um, I'm looking forward to there being a brand new day with some of these decisions and I hope that they come quickly, Kate. Yeah, I think that's wonderful, Emma, to remind us of the personal impact and that real people are in, involved and impacted by these sorts of decisions. A lot of the discourse after Hannah's decision was mixed, in, you know, public responses to that, and there was a lot of emphasis on what it would mean if Hannah were allowed to play, what it would mean for other women in the competition, but not so much discourse about what it meant for Hannah and others mm. who wanted to play. Um, obviously, the AFL is well aware of this, but, you know, I, I just think it's really important to keep in mind that despite people's opinions or feelings or reactions to the idea of um, transgender people participating in binary sporting competitions, there are also legal frameworks that govern the AFL and the AFL and other sporting organisations must be very careful not to discriminate against those players. And also, as you said, Emma, it's a human rights um, 
uh, matter as well. And so I look forward to seeing the AFL's policy, which no doubt will look and incorporate all of those concerns. And this is an issue for all sports and and other sports are dealing with it more directly, I think. Um, So there's form, there's precedent, there's a whole lot of um, established frameworks for the AFL to refer to that allow for inclusion. One person that almost made me cry yesterday was we got to meet Sam Moston. And, oh, oh my goodness, she's the um, AFLW Premiership Cup ambassador. So you remember Sue Alberti had the cup in her, I guess, you know, just in the back wallet. of her. Wallet. In the back of her car. <laughs> just Can you remote. imagine her with a wallet? <laughs> no, no. She's like the queen. Um, no, imagine it strapped into the um, riding shotgun in her Datsun 120Y as she's driving down the Monash. But um, so Sam Moston, for those of you playing along at home, most people would know who she is. She um, has been one of the women who is so influential in um, is establishing this competition, but all of the background work that she did over years, she was um, a commissioner mm-hmm. and yeah, she's yeah. working in Sydney now. Um, but it was extraordinary for us to meet her on a very windy footy oval, which seemed kind of appropriate. <laughs> we had a quick chat to her and we were totally fangirling and I don't want to pump up our own tyres, but I think she was fangirling too. <laughs> <laughs> So, Sam, we've just come out of the launch of the AFLW uh, for season two and you're the ambassador for the Cup this year. What does that mean to you? Well, first of all, it's just an enormous privilege and there's, it's just a thrill. I mean, I'll be going to lots of games over the next few weeks and getting to see these amazing women at all levels on the small suburban grounds but just watching great footy. Do you feel um, you've been such an advocate for women in football for such a long time? Is there part of this that you just feel so vindicated when you go to dinner parties? People go, you're really onto something, Sam. Um, there's a quiet sense of completion for me. Um, I think at the time um, when you were up against it, the, the campaign to do this was over a decade long and I, I and others, a lot of other women, just had to stay firm on the belief that once this was launched, once the public got to see what we were seeing with these extraordinary women players and administrators, some of the coaches, some of the women umpires right across the game, uh, we all had a quiet sense that it would be fine. You know, you hear Gil talk about the fact that he was nervous before the first game last year. Women who knew what was about to come knew that ground was going to be exactly we sat back and went thank goodness that our players are seeing this and realise that they're being welcomed in such enormous numbers Um, and I hope that for the second season that people come out in the same sort of numbers and don't just assume that was all about launch this is about consolidating and making sure that as many people come to a second season and a third and a fourth and as we grow the number of teams that will be participating it's just really important that people stay with the game. Um, we talk a lot about how it was mooted for 2020 and it actually happened you know, a few years earlier, which is obviously fantastic, but do you, do you see any um, issue with the fact that it was rushed through? Like, I know that in your heart you're happy that it's here and it's been here for a year, but do you think that that was the right decision? On reflection, I think Gil did one of the, the smartest things a leader can do in the moment. He realised that to have that 2020 date really seemed... It, it wasn't capturing the public's imagination. It wasn't sending a message to these extraordinary women players that they'd actually make it to the park um, in their, and have their turn. So I think it was a, an absolutely inspired call. What it does lead to, to, though, is having to deal with going fast. So, you know, the introduction of the next... The um, layer of clubs coming through has to be handled exceptionally well because the infrastructure around the country probably isn't at the same level it will need to be by the time we have more clubs join um, and by the time we have every um, AFL club with a women's team there's got to be better infrastructure, better change facilities, um, the support 
support for, for what would make this game great for those women is yet to come in many parts of the country. So I think it was worth taking that big, big brash risk. What sits as a response, though, is getting on with the stuff that will make it work as a fully-fledged competition. And that's going to take some guts, it's going to take some money and some perseverance and some real focus on what these women will teach us about what it will mean to have a fully-fledged competition over time. It's true, it's so unique to see um, a women, uh, the Women's League has a very different feel and different perspective. Yeah. One thing that um, we've been looking towards, and Nicole Livingston did speak about it, um, saying about uh, the aim to have the women being professionally yes. um, paid and being full-time footballers, how far away do you think that is? Well, I think the march is on, and it's another one of the issues, I think, about going early. Um, there was no budget for this, and so to ask clubs to come forward and actually put their money up in addition to facilities facilities and support for the Women's League means we're on a conversation that's going to have to be brought forward in terms of um, gender pay rights. Um, it's a conversation happening with all elite sports in the country at the moment and I would hate to see the AFL be a laggard when you've got other sports and beginning to see that um, a professionally paid woman athlete is, is as important as any part of, of getting these games out into the, the public sphere. So a big challenge, it's expensive but it's absolutely the right thing, it's the right conversation to have. These women deserve the same respect that men, male athletes get. Um, these are elite athletes who want this to be their career. Um, just as there are in the coaching departments and the support around the clubs, these women should be paid the same as the men for the same work. But as you said earlier, we came in early, so this is going to take a bit of time to get the adjustment. And the women themselves have been incredibly generous about this. Um, they, they'll make their voices clear, I'm sure. And the PA, I think, is doing, the Players Association is doing um, it as much as it can at the moment. Um, but these are part of what's going to settle down as the game uh, matures and consolidates. We're so looking forward to seeing you touting the cup around <laughs> at so many games. Congratulations. It's just a huge thrill to see you up on the stage holding the trophy. It's um, Holding that cup is very, very special. Um, Sue Alberti did such a great job last year, so I'm going to hopefully be able to take that cup around the country and let other people see it. And um, and who knows who'll be holding it at the end of this season. If, you know, really, if you see the preparation these clubs have, have now put in for this season, it's anyone's to take. Okay, so on our radio show, which is, I'm still getting used to saying that, but on our radio show, we've been doing a little, um, the story so far of uh, the teams and where they were at. So we just want to give you a little abridged version, just a little catch me up. Kate, you go yeah. first, given you're an Adelaide Crow. I am. So I'm um, a reigning premiership supporter. <laughs> Have you got a tattoo? <laughs> of course, on my bicep. Um so, yes, I mean, Adelaide is the team that swept all before them last year and had a wonderful season. They played um, in the grand final against Brisbane and won by a single goal in what was a tremendous game. Um, they are, again, this year coached by the incredible Beck Goddard, who, as um, we heard at the top of the show, was named Coach of the Year last year. And um, many of their superstars are back, women like Erin Phillips and Chelsea Randall, names that will be familiar to our listeners. They've recruited well over the off season, I think, but they have um, had a pretty concerted strategy of uh, recruiting women who are elite athletes in other sports like soccer and basketball. So let's see how that goes. The most interesting thing for me, I think, is that Beck Goddard has said this herself openly, that a year ago, no one knew who she was or no one, no one, most people didn't know who any of the players were. Now they do know, now they're hunted and whether or not they can withstand that pressure is the big question. Hmm. Well, it remains to be seen. Erin Phillips said yesterday she's never been so fit, so look out. Yes. She's awesome. Yeah, and as terrifying. I mentioned, they played Brisbane in the grand final in Felicity. They did, and poor Brisbane had an outstanding season and only lost that one game, which was the grand final. So By a goal. How do you... 
Just, How do you come to terms with you're that? You're still angry about this, Nick, aren't you? Yeah, I'm hurting. <laughs> One goal. I haven't moved on. Are you, a Bri- you are a Brisbane you're fan, right. aren't you? You're Sabrina. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, Brisbane's got, a, a, I guess, a different sort of off-season. They've, they've got some big outs. You know, they um, obviously lost Taylor Harris, who's um, moved on to Carlton. Um, and they lost one of their best defenders, um, Sam Virgo, who's ruptured her ACL, and so she's not available this season. When they uh, recruited, um, they've really they've taken in thirteen new players, and they're all quite young. Um, they're going to field the youngest team in the AFLW, um, and I guess my point on Brisbane is I'm not sure how they're going to go this season. Um, they've got some really strong senior players, obviously, and you know as we mentioned, um, Sabrina, but they've got Emma Zilke and Leah Kaslow, you know, as their captain and vice, and some some really strong senior players. But it's a whole lot of new youth coming in. Um, a few changes, obviously, with some, you know, losing your marquee player. Um, and I don't know how you ever recover from losing the grand final. So uh, one to watch, I guess, and uh, hard to predict how they're going to go. One thing that happened in the last um, couple of hours, I think it was, um, is that I don't know if you've seen this, actually. Taylor Harris had done a, a little video talking about how excited she is to be at Carlton. She was talking it up and saying how she feels like it's a much more professional environment. And the Brisbane Ooh. girls have come out and I don't think Taylor Harris meant it like that. I think she was talking about her own um, footy and the way that she's approaching her own footy. But Katie Ashmore came out on, and basically took a swing and said, Ooh. oh, no, nah, we're still as professional as we've always been. <laughs> I, I so, hope second I am, round, so I'm right? going to say this. I'm going to say round three when Ooh. Carlton play Brisbane could also be a lockout. Ooh. I was going to say, I hope, <laughs> so she, get along. I hope she didn't take a literal swing but because, of course, one of the things that Taylor Harris did in the off-season was boxing. Mm. That's true. Um, it's her sort of second sport. So. I feel like Taylor Harris is an almost dead cert for going into I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> Along with you, Emma Race, two years from now. I told you I don't go anywhere without my hair straightener. Lucy Race. Well, when we last left them, the Melbourne Demons were probably ruining a few missed opportunities. So you'll remember at the end of last year, they finished third and they missed a grand final berth on percentage. They probably were also ruining the weather because... They, you'll remember, played two games in really full-on rain, one where there was so much lightning they had to leave the field. So I think there were some jokes made about the Wicked Witch of the West melting in (laughs) wet conditions. So I would imagine that they will have been turning the sprinklers on during some training (laughs) and... What I'm really expecting from Melbourne this year is for them to really challenge. And I think when you look at their midfield of Paxman, Pierce, Elise O'Day and potentially Mel Hickey, there's a little bit of talk of Mel, who's traditionally been a defender, moving more into the midfield. Mm. There's That's a powerhouse. Mm. Um, their ball come off that Darabin VFL grand final win so there's a bit you know they they know how to win um they know how to win when their backs against the wall as well there's some other players to look out for with melbourne rochelle rocky cranston Mm. who became a bit of a cult favorite and she's been sponsored by melbourne's ruby demons their lgbt support group um actually sponsor her she has worked super hard to become an elite athlete so you're going to notice a real difference in in how she is physically did you know she plays gridiron? Mm. So she's a she's a running back. Um, she broke her foot in her gridiron and missed seven weeks of VFL football, but she's back on track. Another one to look out for is Catherine Smith, who is she was a Rising Star nomination in two thousand and seventeen. She is a really driven 
player. She runs a female football academy. So she's someone who's really having an impact. She's so young, um, but having an impact at that grassroots level as well. Lily Mithen, another one, vice captain for Geelong's VFLW team. And given, you know, the changes and knowing that Geelong's going to be in next year, I wonder whether this might be Lily's last season with, with the Demons. So some of the new players to look out for from the draft, Eden Zanka from Bendigo Pioneers, Maddie Guerin from the Northern Knights, Tegan Cunningham and Claudia Whitford. So I'm going to finish on a little omen watch. So the day that we're recording tonight, there's going to be a red and blue supermoon. I'm going to call that an omen watch and say, (laughs) keep your eye on the red and the blue. (laughs) Can't argue with that. Okay, I'm going to talk about my beloved blue bagger girls. Because you know I love Carlton with my whole heart. Um, So I'm going to kick it off with um, a really interesting um, appointment to their coaching staff. Jessica Ratura made history last year when she became the first female senior coach in the Victorian Amateur Football um, Association. And she is an assistant coach at the Blues. And she's a great woman and I think that we will see her rise through the ranks and I'm really hoping that we'll get to speak to her on the pod about that coaching journey because obviously this is another whole area where women are going to you know see that they've actually got somewhere that they can progress to so I'll be watching the coach's box which is kind of weird but I'll be watching the coach's box for her the other big news out of um, Carlton is that Sarah and Jess Hosking who are twins are going to get the opportunity to play together Um, and last year um, Sarah got to play but Jess had a lingering knee injury and so she didn't get to play and I I'm I believe that they're, they're so close to telepathic like you and your brother Nick you're a twin right so yeah, what's his name again? imagine <laughs> imagine just knowing where each other are telepathically on the field it's Queen just sweat. taking it to the next level exactly so um, I can't wait to see them Darcy's back after a knee injury and missing um, her VFLW campaign so I think she's going to fire of course joining her in the forward line is one Miss Taylor Harris who um, is extraordinary, an extraordinary option to have. They've also got Nicola Stevens, who is a great get from Collingwood. I don't know why she wants to take on Punt Road, but she's doing it. She's taking, she's going the length from Collingwood to Princess Park. You know, mm. that's a bad stretch of traffic for anyone playing along at home. But um, she won um, the Pies number one um, in Best and Fairest last year. So it's a, that's a pretty big get. Mm. I reckon Carlton didn't have the season that they should have had last year. And I think we are going to see them come out and fire. And I actually think that they'll be playing in the grand final. <laughs> big well, call. Big mm-hmm. call. Well, I'll just say. Co- oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about Brie Davies, a new oh captain. My yes. Oh, my oh gosh. Oh, my God. I think she's going to have a standout year. Excellent. And she's She's a young mm. captain, but I, I'm interested to see what the impact of that is because it's a big move, isn't it, to take – like Lauren Arnell was a great skipper. I mean, mm. God, I wish she was my – I wish she was the captain of this rebel that so we have I. to deal with here. So I mean, so she, she works on the mm. ABC as well, so you could probably get so her if you wanted to. You probably can. <laughs> she's probably got a bit of spare time now. She's not the captain, Carlton. So, um, But Brie is amazing. I actually thought last year she was exceptional. She was all over the ground. She's one of my faves. Yeah, she's mm. amazing, right? So she's going to be their captain, so let's see what happens. Collingwood are looking good. Of course, they finished fifth on the ladder and uh, I wanted to go to their training on Monday night, but I had a flu and I was in my pyjamas, so I sent my husband instead. <laughs> and he's nice a, one, Steve. <laughs> he's a massive pie supporter and he thought they were in absolute fine form and there was quite a few people watching them train. And they made them wear um, a jumper that meant something to them from their football days. So I thought, think that was amazing too. Their captain, Steph Ciocci, just an incredible player. Um, with 
we have lost we. I'm saying oh, we. Yeah, we. Oh, yeah. You have lost you. Collingwood have lost Nicholas Stevens to Carlton and Alicia Eva, obviously, to the GWS Giants. But just some players to watch out for. Ash Brazil, a former Australian netballer. Uh, she's played footy on and off for several years. She's missing the opener because she has a hamstring tightness. I've done that Me so too. many times. <laughs> uh, but she is sev- one of several cross-coders in Collingwood's AFL women's lineup, alongside Jess Duffin, who plays cricket, Eliza Hines, volleyball, and Georgie Parker, field hockey. And Brisbane may be the youngest team in the AFLW, and Collingwood is the oldest list with 26.3 years average age. And that's down from 2017, where it was two years uh, two years higher. So mm. they have their oldest team, but they've got a lot of young ones, and they're looking in fine form. Frio. What to do Hepo. about Frio, hey? Um I uh, they, they, I think we can all safely say there was a lot expected of them mm. last year and they probably didn't deliver quite what we were hoping for, all those amazing WA players that they couldn't really use. Um, but we've got they've got a coach there in Michelle Cowan who knows who's following up from last year and knows how to win. So um, and the leadership team there with Cara Donnellan staying on track as a captain. She was a a standout last year and I expect great things from her too. They were really badly hit by injuries last year, losing their um, marquee player Kiara Bowers before the season even started and then halfway through Tia Haynes um, did a shoulder and that was about halfway through and she was one of their better performers too. Uh, So, you know, I don't think we saw them at their best anyway and I think we will see uh, some improvement. They've got some good ins this time around. Um, Kelly Gibson's a native WA West Australian girl. Um, Emily Maguire from Adelaide was a really good get um, and I think it's lovely that Stephanie Kane, who was previously delisted, is getting a second chance too. Um, Jodie White is, has come in from the ruck. She just won the Waffle Best and Fairest last year. 37. Love the idea of her getting a chance there. And, of course, Kiara Bowers will be back. Um, They will be a little hurt by Kirby Bentley, who's done her meniscus, which is a real shame. And she was a really steady performer last year too. So that's a – that'll – you know, they'll they'll feel that. But they've recruited aggressively. That's their language. They're talking a big game. So I'm expecting big things. Um, I reckon somewhere in the middle. They'll end up somewhere in the middle this year and we'll see that increase each year. I'm cheering for a coach. Is that okay? I love love Miss Cowan's so much. She's yeah. amazing. She's agreed. If you can cheer for a coach, can you cheer for an assistant coach? Because you betcha. Don't say why not. The, the divine Jordan Roughhead has joined oh. the Bulldogs um, mm-hmm. as an assistant coach of the women's team. And combined with um, the very clever recruitment of Debbie Lee um, over to, to run women's football there, I think there's a whole lot of um, uh, structural stuff going on that, you know, that's really going to fix what was pretty underwhelming last year. Um, they're a team of absolute champions at the Bulldogs and they really probably underperformed more than um, anyone would have expected. A big part of that, obviously, they lost their captain um, two rounds in um, and, you know, that was a, obviously a difficult season for Katie Brennan to have to watch from the sidelines. Um, she did go on to play the VFL W season and win the league best and fairest. So um, be very afraid. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to call, you know, um, a couple of, um, you know, Handy names, you know, like Ellie Blackburn and you know Emma Carney, and yeah. it, it just 
th- there's no reason on paper why this can't be the year of the bulldog. And I think with some, um, you know, some really good structural stuff around them, um, I'm pulling the scarf out and I'll be there on, on Sunday to see their opening match. Yep. Yay. Katie. Oh, well, the final team um, has also made a number of structural structural changes, Felicity, and that is the Greater Western Sydney Giants. So um, undoubtedly GWS also had a really disappointing season last year. They finished bottom of the ladder. They had just one win. They also had a draw and they lost five of their games. But I think there are a number of reasons for that. One is that um, their marquee player, one of their marquee players, Renee Forth, was injured early on and sat out the entire season. Um, So that had a a significant impact. But if you're a GWS fan, there are so many pluses that you need to know about. And I actually feel very um, enthusiastic and positive about their potential this season. The main thing to know is that they have a new coach, Alan McConnell, who replaced Tim Schmidt, who was the inaugural coach. And Alan McConnell is very highly regarded. We talked to Amanda Faruja, who's the captain of GWS on our radio show over the weekend, and she raved about him. And and people um, say that he brings a lot to the team. He... um, has moved across the men's and women's footy departments at GWS. So no doubt he'll be getting advice from the men's um, team and men's coaches as well. So they have a new coach. Um, We also heard Alicia mention that they recruited Alicia Eva, who was the Collingwood best and fairest runner-up. So that gives you a sense of just how good Alicia Eva is. That's a huge in for GWS. Combine that with Renee Forth, who I mentioned before, will now be playing this season, and some other big big recruits, including Cora Staunton, who is from the Gaelic League in um, Ireland. And in a practice match uh, about a week and a half ago, she kicked a couple of goals and apparently looked very, very good. So I think it's all up for GWS, and I hope they go well this year. Okay, so this is a time that we want you to get your goosebumps on. There is a new audio documentary available called The First Friday in February and it talks about the last, um, the first game of last season. We are on the eve of it happening again. And will it be a lockout? Will Carlton win? Will Collingwood get the points? What will happen? Will Darcy kick four? Will she kick eight? We don't know. <laughs> but let's take a walk down memory lane um, with this beautiful audio documentary. We're just going to play you a little tiny piece that was made by Kirby Fenwick, who is also a friend of the pod. <laughs> um, so sit back and reminisce about last year and enjoy this little piece of the first Friday in February. It felt like something that my heart and my brain had wanted for so long and I truly didn't believe I would ever see it. It was, it was bigger than football. I think it finally hit me that the ball's being tossed for the first game. There is no going back now. Here come the pies, let out by skipper Steph Kiyochi. Here come the Blues, led out by Captain Lauren Arnell. It's before AFLW, after AFLW. It's a new era in our great game. On Friday, February 3rd, 2017, Aussie rules football changed forever. There were 24,500 people packed into the stands at Princess Park in Melbourne that night. And when the siren sounded and the ball was thrown into the air for the first time, They erupted, their roar and expression of their passion, of their joy, of long-held dreams, realised. 
roar of the crowd that just took my breath away. It was incredible. It was it was so loud. It felt like there was about 80,000 people at the MCG, when in reality it was 25,000 at Princess Park. It felt like something really special was about to happen. Okay, well, thank you so much to Kirby for that because now we're just about to pack our picnics and go stand at the gates so that we can definitely (laughs) get a seat and we don't miss out. Before we go, thank you so much for joining us on the pod for this year. We're so excited. We know it was a long one, but we just had so much to cover. Um, We will be back. We are on ABC radio on you can catch us on abc local 774 in melbourne between 11 and 12 or we're on grandstand digital as well and then after we've done the radio show on the saturdays they put up a link we tweet it out it's available for a week so you can listen to it it's a lot tighter than this um, <laughs> and basically it's an hour where we hold our breath and try not to wet our pants because mm. someone's given us the keys to the abc but there's also plenty of other ways that you can follow us at least we're wearing our pants um <laughs> Yes, you can also go to our website, which is the w's.outersanctum.com.au, and each week this this year we'll put up <laughs> link, links to Starting now. Starting now. That's my homework. We'll put up links to things that we speak about, so some of the things mentioned today. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We try to engage as much as we can with our fans on both of those sites. So if you're not following us, you can find us on both of those. Um, and also Instagram. Oh, of course. Yeah, we're yeah, also so on I'm Instagram. Like a, You're not I'm on Instagram, so not Kate. Instagram oh, no, go no, to no. Emma's house if and, you want. And we, <laughs> we encourage you to use those socials to contact us with story ideas or things that you think we mm. should talk about. We would love to see photos of you guys. If you want to send us some, or tag us in on photos of you at the first games over the yes. weekend, that mm. would be awesome. And while you're on your social media, download the AFLW app because it does have a lot of really good information. And especially if you want to go to the games and you want to say, hey, who's that in the number five? You can actually find it. It's really good. And if you see any of us at games, please come up and say hello because that was one of the great pleasures of last year and just getting to see people that we you know, hear from all the time. We love meeting you and um, high-fiving you and talking footy. So thanks very much for joining us. That is the first pod done and dusted. Go, Go footy! footy. See you next week! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.